Hello and welcome to DigiListen, a weekly podcast about digital service delivery for the voluntary sector. With sudden impact of coronavirus, charities, community groups, social enterprises and voluntary organisations of all sizes are shifting their service delivery into digital remote channels. We've been hosting online weekly chats with folks from all kinds of charities, experts and people on the front line about what they're learning and how charities can make use of digital to reach people more than ever before. I'm Ross McCullough, Director of Third Sector Lab, and this week we're talking about data-driven charities. Joining me this week is Maddie Stark from SCVO. So, Maddie, we've chosen data as the topic for this week. What, what do you think the, the big focus is for data for nonprofits? I think the big focus is sitting around understanding how they can use data to improve the services, to provide greater opportunities, to increase capacity and to be more fit for purpose and mm. understanding that it's about people, I think, which is key. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I really liked from the, the three guests that we have this week is that we're not we're not here to talk about how do you choose a CRM and technically how do you implement these things and do you need to hire a data scientist, but some really simple steps that you can take in charities of any size and actually a lot of kind of free off-the-shelf tools and just, uh, you know, so one of, the, one of the tips we've got this week is about changing the type of graph you use to present information to your board or to your supporters. So we're talking about that level of information this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so some really practical, useful stuff. We learned a lot from Skyscanner a few years ago where they told us that pie charts were not ever to be used when displaying yeah. data, which was a yeah. highlight of a day for some people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of hate for pie charts in this podcast. I do warn you. If you if you like pie charts, you're not going to like this. So the first person we had up was Brian Hills, who's deputy chief exec and now new job title, head of service design at the Data Lab. And Brian was talking about a range of areas, so how do you hire data skills into your organisation, but also some of the work that they've done with charities in Scotland. I've been with the Data Lab now for six years. I joined at the start to help strap everything up, um, then wearing a bit of a technical hat with the head of data stuff, and now my role is really looking at how we scale and expand what we do um, across the country uh, to really deliver data or impact from data across um, Scotland at scale. I think it's probably good to anchor discussion in what our mission is and as one of Scotland's eight innovation centres, fundamentally our mission is to help Scotland maximise value from data, both from a social perspective and an economic perspective. And we're also ambitious being an innovation centre, so we really want to show Scotland as a place where we can do data innovation and lead the world in how we do that. Fundamentally, we we anchor how we do that in thinking about organisations and where they are on their data journey, whether they're starting off and, uh, and getting um, their first steps into this or whether they're advanced and need access to advanced research. So we look at it through the lens of the data journey and there are three areas that we focus on to help people move through that journey. Um, the first being supporting organisations to innovate whether that's connecting into academia or industry or other networks. And the second one is accessing talent, and whether that's professional development and upskilling yourselves or your teams, or it's accessing new talent that's coming out of colleges and universities. 
And the third thing is building a network, a community around that that are learning and helping each other and grow through their own respective data communities. And we do a lot of stuff uh, on the event side, as many of you be aware. Um, and we were running DataFest until we, uh, we were in the first week of that this year. And then we had to, to cancel the second week because of all the, the COVID stuff. But that's a, the three key areas that we focus on to deliver that, that mission. We do do a lot of skill stuff that's just really accessible. So free online learning and particular uh, leadership learning as well, which is free online. Um, and uh, a bunch of MOOCs that are maybe a bit more technical. And we also do face-to-face -face leadership training as well. So there's there's a few things that can be tapped into. And uh, after this, if it's useful to you, please feel free to reach out on my email address and uh, I'll point you to somebody who can help. We don't see this as a data lab thing. It's really about catalyzing the community to collaborate yeah. so we don't want to own loads of stuff it's who's the right person in the network or who's the right organization to work with to help do the stuff that we want to do so we're only 32 people right we're not going to solve that mission on our own so key to it is partnering with organizations that can help us achieve that absolutely open to collaborating to help to do that and that's why for example a lot of the stuff scvo and the data king guys are doing on this area we'll help input too but if they're running it that's absolutely fine because that's the stuff they're good at and we're delighted they're doing that. Yeah so we know Brian quite well from SCVO because he's a, a regular on our senior leader program which is always really good to hear mm. from him. Yeah. Um, one of the key things that he was talking about was using data um, to help organisations innovate so actually connecting them with you know kind of like academic organisations or into existing networks again back to that point that you were saying about looking at what's already there that people can use and he was also talking about accessing talent, so having direct access to magical data scientists who can mm. help um, charities look at their data and understand a starting point as well. Yeah. Looking at actually, can, where can they start with data? Sometimes that can be really overwhelming for charities. And also about learning to help each other through events and sharing knowledge, sharing experiences, looking at what works, what doesn't work. So there yeah. was a lot there from Brian and he'd already talked about working with charities so they'd worked with Circle, they'd worked with I, I think it was with UNICEF looking at data for children and collaborating with UNICEF and they'd also worked um, doing some work with Skills Development Scotland as well. Yeah and I think actually the, the Circle one's quite interesting because one of the uh, Circle are not a kind of colossal global charity and I think the danger is a lot of the the case studies we see on data are usually using some giant system like Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics and they're often these kind of big, well-known household names in terms of charities, but actually good to see a charity that's well-known and well-respected in Scotland, but isn't a colossal charity, so Circle, and thinking about how the data labs help them unlock data and just some of the ways it's helped drive organisational objectives. So if you're listening to this, go to the data lab website, but also the video we've got from the, the session on data, um, and you'll hear a wee bit more from Brian. So that the audio... Uh, on our Zoom call went slightly awry uh, on Brian's slot. So we don't have huge amounts of audio from Brian in the podcast, but you can go to thedatalab.com um, and all the case studies are there. And also the information on the kind of events that they've got. So they've got some really good online events um, and particularly their training. So Craig, who uh, does their uh, online session, I can't remember the title of that. Do you remember the title of that one? No, I can't remember, but it's on Future Learn. Uh, right, so you, yeah, it's yeah. really easy to find on Future Learn if you just yeah. type in Data Lab, they come up, all the courses will come up. Yeah, yeah. So it's really well respected. So I've heard multiple people talking mm -hmm. really highly about Craig's uh, sessions in there. So do, do go and look at that on, on Future Learn. 
The next speaker that we had was Steve McLaughlin from Blackboard. So Steve wrote the book Data-Driven Nonprofits. We shamelessly stole the title for our, uh, well, I shamelessly stole the title for our Zoom call and just called it Data-Driven Charities, which was very lazy. Um, and I think when I talk to people about the books that they should read about data, his is the one of the ones that comes up time and time again. And that ability to explain in really simple terms some of the changes you can make and the kind of test and learn stuff that you can do in your organization. And I thought Steve had some really practical advice for us. Maybe I'll just start sort of at the beginning, which is why did I want to write a book about data? And the reality is I didn't want to write a book about data. I had a lot of questions about data in part because I am not originally designed to be good at data. I have never been very good at mathematics. Uh, I recently... (laughs) taught my five-year-old basic uh, addition and subtraction during homeschooling. So I'm pretty good at the basics, but, but anything complex I was never really good at. And, but I knew I had to get better at it. And so I wanted to understand more about statistics and mathematics. Not that I would ever do a regression analysis, not that I would ever be doing some of my own deep data science work, but I knew that it was powerful. And I knew that there were a lot of really amazing things you could do with it but I had to understand it. And I needed to sort of take the perspective of data from a non-data person perspective. And I think that's true for a lot of us in the not-for-profit sector. Uh, We come from very different backgrounds. And for many of us, data, statistics, analysis isn't our thing. And I think it's important though that it doesn't have to be your thing for you to value it and to appreciate it in a lot of ways. And I think a good place to start is just thinking about data this way, which is that data is the raw material for value. If we want to try and improve our programs, if we want to improve our services, we want to improve how we engage in the community, how we do more good, if you will, then data can often be the raw material for that value we want to create. Now, sometimes it's, it's buried deep in the ground, uh, hard to get to, hard to find, hard to understand. Um, that's okay. But if we can start to think of it as the raw material for value, it's a good place to start. I'll give you a perfectly good example. So uh, my name, McLaughlin, perfectly well understood in Scotland and spelled correctly in Scotland, you might imagine that in the States, uh, not so much. And yet, what happens when you spell a donor's name wrong? Does it matter? When, when you spell a supporter's name wrong, does it actually matter? Turns out it does. Some research that we did at Blackboard several years ago, we looked at misspellings in donors' names and what was the downstream impact? What was the value or loss of value of that? And what we found was that when you misspell a donor's name, it costs you about 10% in retention and about 12% in uplift. Now, not saying that causation is correlation, that that's the only reason they stopped giving or the only reason they stopped giving more, but probably a good sign that if you have a supporter who's to your organization and you consistently misspell their last name, they might not feel like you care about them too much. And so for years, we would have probably argued around a table or a board meeting about, well, what's the big deal? Like misspellings, yeah, it happens. We're not perfect. What are we going to do? But now that you know that misspelling a supporter's name costs you 10% in retention and 12% in additional giving, you might actually do something about it. You might actually want to 
cause some change there. And one of the reasons why that change doesn't happen in charities is one, we don't understand what the value of the data is because maybe uh, we're not comfortable with the data where the data is sometimes messy or we're, we're unsure about making the right conclusions. Another thing that happens in charities and, and corporations all the time with data is that oftentimes we're battling the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion, right? And the one thing I've found over the years is the one of the best defenses you have against the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion, is data, right? Uh, we want to do this event this year, and we want to increase uh, attendance at that event by 15%. 15%? Why 15%? Well, the hippo wants 15%. We've never increased attendance by 15%. The best we've ever done is five. Don't care. Hippo wants 15, Right? Or subtle things like, why, why does the email newsletter have this terrible color and, and, and imagery in it? Oh, the hippo likes blue. And so the hippo likes blue, and so we're going to make it blue, even though it is in no way quantifiable <laughs> uh, or verifiable that that's a good thing. And what I found, though, is if you have data, if you have evidence, you can use that. You know, in that case of, well, you know, we want to improve event participation by 15% or we want to improve regular giving by 10%. Well, we have some data. If we have some data, let's bring that to the table and have a discussion about what's realistic or what we've seen previously and how we want to do things. So the, the hippo is, is part of it for sure. The other big thing, though, that I found, and this will be surprising because I've spent nearly my whole career in, in the technology space, is that you can have amazing technology, you can have great data, you can have smart and talented people, you have all those things, and ultimately it's not enough to be data-driven. One of the truths about being data-driven is a lot of it is about culture, organizational culture. Uh, Peter Drucker, who's the, the famous management consultant, once said that culture eats strategy for breakfast, and I will tell you that culture will then go on to eat your data strategy for lunch as well. So culture is a huge aspect of this. And one of the things I found in the book is some good news, which is um, there's this concept which is called equifinality. This is our Scrabble double letter score word of the day, equifinality. Equifinality is a fancy way for saying there's more than one way to get to the same destination. And what I found in the course of the book is that there's not just one type of culture that allows you to be successful at using data, that there's at least eight, or in some cases, nine different types of culture. Sometimes it's a culture of sharing. At your organization, you're very comfortable sharing data, sharing information. Some of you may be listening to me going, yeah, that's not our culture. We don't share. We live in our silo. Okay, that's okay. Uh, there may be a culture of champions where it's not just the, the head of the organization or the board telling you to be more data-driven, but literally everyone from all um, levels of the organization who are champions for data. That's a different type of culture, right? There's a culture for change. Um, great example in the book from Worldwide Cancer Research in St. Andrews where they have a culture of change. They're constantly changing. In fact, they changed their name a few years ago. Uh, they're not afraid of change. So you can have these different culture types, 
which is good. And those culture types enable you to find your way to being more data driven. And so I think it's important that the data is amazing. The technology is amazing. We could talk about AI and machine learning and uh, that all day long, really fascinating stuff. But ultimately, a lot of this is about people and culture and about habits and what do you do every single day and what do you do with your peers and your colleagues every single day to be just a wee bit more data driven every single day. And I found that maybe the underlying secret, if there is one, to, to be more effective at this, which is, is every day, can we use a little bit more data in our decision making? Can we make sense of the data that we're using? And that can be a really powerful force for change. There's a story from World Wildlife Fund in the book, talked to um, John Schwash there about how they started to use more data. And, and he tells several stories of where do you start? Seems very overwhelming. Mm. And I think the secret is, with a bit of advice from, from John at World Wildlife Fund, is start with something that's big enough that people care about, but not so big that everyone cares about, right? Find the Goldilocks problem. Because if it's, if it's a small problem that no one cares about, then no one's going to care about it. You could be wildly successful and be like, well, who cares? So what? Who cares? And the, the other end of the spectrum you want to avoid is don't say we're going we're gonna to form the council of elders and we're going to take on this big, massive problem within the organization. Don't do that. Don't do that either. Find something that's big enough that people would care about, but not so big that everyone would care about. And then time box yourself. Give yourself 30 days. Give yourself 60 days. Maybe give yourself 90 days, but no more than 90 days to go do some work. Go do some research and say, in 30 days, we're going to come back with some analysis and some recommendations and some next steps. And if you do that and you keep doing that and repeating that cycle, before you know it, you can take the training wheels off and you'll be doing it on your own and you don't need to baby step it. But, but, but that's probably another great piece of advice. You know, take a, take a small chunk, get success, repeat. Take another small chunk, repeat, success. Repeat, repeat, repeat. So I really like the way that Steve talks about needing to get buy-in and showing value and actually making sure that we don't always rely on the hippo's opinion, so the highest paid person's opinion, and actually data can help us do that. And data can help voices that might not be heard get to the forefront. So really thinking about how do we use data to make decisions in our organisation. And actually, we shouldn't be making any decisions as a non-profit, and particularly at a board level, without data backing some of those decisions up. So next up, we've got Giselle Corey from Datakind sharing her top three tips for working with data. I help charities to use data. I have worked in the social sector and government for a while. Last time I was in government, uh, Labour were there, so it must have been a while. Um, I currently lead Datakind UK. We're a capacity builder for the social sector, so we, we help charities use, well, actually charities and social enterprises and, uh, and public sector bodies as well. I'll be focusing on charities today, um, to use data to transform their impact. We have communities uh, of, well, throughout the world, but thinking about Datakind UK, um, we have communities in, in London, in Southampton, and as of this year in Edinburgh, which has been wonderf wonderfully exciting. Uh, actually, no, as of, as of the end of last year. And uh, one of the things we do is to deliver a, a drop-in service, so a um, free one-hour 
come and talk to a data expert, whatever your troubles may be, a service that is in or, or pre-COVID was in London and uh, and Edinburgh in person and then online. Um, the Edinburgh version is delivered in partnership with SCVO. Uh, that's still running online um, and hopefully we'll be able to pick up in person again not too, in not too far future. Um, but I thought I'd just focus on a few more practical tips today from what we've learned working with charities big and small um, across the UK to help them use data um, a bit more effectively. So, so I'm going to focus on my three top tips because uh, everyone loves a bit of a list. Uh, before I jump into these three top tips, I just I want to level set a little bit. A lot of the organisations that come to us uh, have a few things in common. So they're not sure where to start. It's just data. It's just a big thing and you don't know quite how to nibble away at it often don't have loads of resources to do all this stuff, Uh, often nervous about using data because of the bad press it gets, and lastly, often feel they're miles behind. And all all these things are truly felt by most of the organisations that that walk through our doors. But I just, I want to pick on that last one, um, that organisations think they're miles behind, just to say it's it's probably not the case. So most organisations are uh, using data less well than they could be. And that's not most social sector organisations, that's most organisations. Because of our network of data scientists in industry, we have very strong links to the sector. And I uh, talk to a lot of the kind of CDO, chief data officer types, who have exactly the same conundrums and questions that a lot of social sector organisations have. The difference being that uh, one has a little bit more resource often to throw at it than the other. So try, try if you can, to kind of shed the, the concern that you're miles behind other um, organisations within and outside of your sector. Uh, you're probably not. Uh, and that's true. So we work with the Oxfams and Citizens Advices and Shelters and Anthony Nolans and Street Leagues of this world. Um, you know, big, big charities who really pack a punch and are doing great work with data now. Um, but, but, you know, that's with our help and, and, and kind of other nudges along the way. It's also true of little organisations, the, the small food banks and, and women's centres and community centres that uh, I won't bother naming because you, you probably uh, won't recognise them, that often those big and small organisations have very similar problems and it's not necessarily the big ones who can do, you know, who can do the job uh, necessarily better with data than the smaller ones. Having said it doesn't matter who you are, let's talk at least about um, some things that hopefully everyone can do and kind of take away from this session. So my first tip for everyone is to forget about data. Uh, so I, I think if we were, um, in a lot of cases, if we were thinking about a kind of professional technique, uh, we wouldn't highlight that professional technique above the aims and challenges of our organisation. But sometimes we do with data, and I think that's, that, that's a bit of a mistake. I'd say instead of kind of thinking about data as this thing that sits in parallel or aside from your main uh, cause and concerns think instead about what you need so what as a person what makes your day what would make your day better what would make your department get its you know get on target or or serve the people you're trying to serve a little bit more effectively and once you've got that challenge in mind or that list of challenges you can go through and pick the ones which would be helped by a data informed approach because it won't be all of them um sympathize with the, the people that are stuck with the hippos Sometimes um, problems aren't data-driven. They, they might be a kind of strategic question, which it's about decisions in, in, in direction, which can't be helped by data, or at least not the data you, you might have collected already. Um, so sometimes they can't be data-informed. And really having that, that list and collating those challenges so you can better understand which ones you can attack with data is really a good first step. Once you've done that, it might be that you can uh, test some assumptions that you've put down, um, that you can 
help humans deliver better services because that's often what data-driven processes do uh, or it might be that you just get more insight on activities and make better decisions down the line so that's number one forget about data my number two is very much sympathizing with with steve's goldilocks approach don't worry about doing it all and don't worry about doing it all at once so something that a lot of organizations that come to us have in mind is is data strategy it's a question of right how do we get the organization doing what we want what's an all-wide approach to data and i i usually you know suggest that we take a few steps back and instead of having an all-wide approach which resembles for a lot of people who work for you or work within, within your team, it's going to resemble a bit of a stick to beat them with. Instead, try a carrot instead, which to me translates as doing something useful. So think back to those challenges we just talked about in the, in the first point. What of those challenges can you respond to with some fairly quick kind of data interrogation or data analysis? When you've shown that something useful can come of this data stuff, then it's likely you'll get more buy-in from powers that be and kind of operational people as well across the organization. And then you can go in and try and push some, some more organization-wide change. So to summarize, number one, forget the data. And number two, do something useful. Don't do everything at once. And my last point, my number three, is worry about people first and platforms later. Actually, I don't, I don't want to increase anyone's worry. I'm going to re- rephrase that. Think about people first and platforms later. Don't worry about anything. It's all fine. Um, so the reason I say this is, we, again, we get a lot of organizations come to us who say, right, what should I buy? I've finally got some, someone to give me some budget to install some new wonderful platform. And I'm, this one looks really shiny. And this other one looks even shinier. What, what should I get? And I'll often say, okay, let's, again, perhaps take a step back here. And first, look around you and look at the assets you already have. Because it's, yes, we, we don't have loads of resources. We're not swimming in people. And if your organization's anything like mine, you have far too much to do and you're a bit stressed and a bit busy. But the, a new platform is unlikely to save you from any of that. So I'd say first, look around, look at the people you have around you and see if there's latent talent and latent interest and latent skills there. So firstly, using basic tools so people who are good at basic tools things like pivot tables and excel or google sheets can get you a lot of the way i'm not saying it will solve all your problems but that it's it's a it's a hell of a good start and, and often people will come talking about how ai is going to transform their organization and leave very happy because they can do pivot tables and that's okay so kind of think about how to like ensure people are kind of power users for those basic tools or not even that basic for those accessible tools and this the second point is around basically the nature of how people learn good data work. I often talk about data science because uh, it's, it's how essentially our community labels itself. Data science is, is, is doing flashy things with data. It's nothing more uh, kind of uh, elusive than that. Um, how people get to data science is a really varied path. It's a lot of learning on the job. It's a lot of turning yourself from an analyst maybe into data science over time. It's switching from reporting to being hypothesis driven, for example. It's a lot of small changes that people can learn along the way. Um, people my age and older would have come to it askance from different um, professions and different skill sets. So see if you can develop those, those same skill sets in your organization. People can get very far on things like Google Sheets, Excel, etc. But if they want to go a bit further, open source languages are really great too. So that tra- open source translates is free. Um, and essentially, it, it's a program that people can get loads of free support online to learn, use for free, and then do quite exciting, quite heavy duty, powerful analysis and data science. And so lots of ways to look around you, think about the people you have, think about how to really 
encourage them, arm them uh, with the best tools, um, and then perhaps think about these, these, these bigger, shinier platforms later, if at all. So that's to summarize, to forget about data, don't worry about getting it all right at once, and then think about people first. Um, to underline all of this, I want to make a point about ethics and responsible data use. This is not a fourth point, uh, because that would suggest it sits separate from the rest. And I think, uh, in my opinion, that's, that's not right. Responsible data use is one bubble. Um, and it's a, a bubble that should underpin all the other decisions you're making as you go about thinking about data use. The laws are baseline, so don't be, be lawful, yes, but do not stop there. Think about what the repercussions might be of using data in, in new ways. Actually, for a lot of organisations, probably a good idea to think about the repercussions of using data in, in the current the way you're using it as well. And this isn't, it's, it's not rocket science. It, I think people think about kind of ethics responsible data use and assume it's quite tricky. To be honest, it's probably all in your head. Um, all those answers are already in your head and in the in the minds of the people you work around. It's just a case of having some time to think about those repercussions to, to perhaps talk with your, your users or the other people your organisation interacts with. Lots of free tools to do that. I can point you to some of them afterwards if you can get in touch and, um, and they can really kind of provide a good frame for your thinking. Um, to wrap up, a few um, kind of thoughts to leave you with. So firstly, you're not alone. Um, a lot of organisations are in a similar position. There's loads of support on offer, loads of free support like, like Datakind. Um, I mean, you've heard from Brian from Data Lab. There's loads of other capacity builders who can help in terms of thinking about data, but also thinking separately about digital. And of course, those two things go hand in hand. You've got SCVO here. If you do want to drop in to get some expertise from us, we run our office hours that I mentioned. It's that, that drop-in session with uh, SCVO. It's every month. Um, just yeah, give us a bell and we'll line you up with a session. And then my last little shout out, my cheeky shout out while I've got a platform, um, is that we are running uh, the Data for Good conference. So if anyone remembers or was part of this in 2018, we had an inaugural Data for Good conference. Uh, we're doing it again in spring of next year. So if you are interested in like getting involved in any way, whether it's just you want to be kept up to date or whether actually you want to join the, the collaborative partnership of 15 or so organizations who are making it happen, then please get in touch with, with me or SCVO um, and we can all kind of guide you in the right direction. Those are really great top three tips. I definitely agree with being data-driven. Not-for-profit isn't about a procurement process. It's not about tools, but it's about what the questions are that we're trying to answer and how that will change and improve what we do. I think a lot of what she was talking about is saying it's about people. And I particularly like the fact that she started off by saying, oh, shock horror, data is not about data. And actually it's about people. And that can be a bit of a wake-up call for folk because they can really get stuck in the detail of data and actually, it's back to that thing about it being a mindset. So yeah, and I think I think that kind of nicely sums up the the three speakers that we had. It's about humans. It's about the people that you work with, your beneficiaries. Steve, quite a strong focus on your supporters and the people who are giving money to your organisation, and thinking about your staff and volunteers as well. So how do we really understand the impact people are having? How do we understand how data helps us shift services and to develop them continually? And I think it ties in really nicely, actually, some of the the podcasts we've done recently and some of the video content we've got around service design is actually that kind of like perfect combination of service design and data and using those two things to make decisions about what your organization looks like and what it does and where it goes in the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's also that idea that it doesn't matter if your data is messy or if it has holes in it, because most mm. data is, and yeah. just finding a starting point and actually using that as a jumping board onto other things. So having that mindset of actually, you know, this is what we've got, this is what we can use. Let's just make a start and just taking that plunge. So we hope that what you've listened today has helped you think about how data can create impact. Go and look at some of the resources. So uh, DataKind's website has some amazing stuff on there and they're running loads of events. Uh, the Data Lab has some amazing case studies. And as we said, Craig's Future Learn course, do go and have a look at that. And um, Blackboard have loads of good stuff. But if you uh, if you Google Steve McLaughlin, data-driven nonprofits, you'll uh, get to see a wee bit more about Steve's book, which is really useful. And um, don't forget, we've got a spreadsheet uh, of case studies and resources so that big google doc which you can access in the links we also in the links have information on the ever-grown resources from scvo so if you google scvo digishift or if you click the link in the podcast description you'll get access to those and um, there's now as well as the podcast and the video content there's a grown library of content and blog posts as well to help you think about how do we deliver digital services for our third sector organisation. So that's all we've got time for this week. And we'll be back next week with a very exciting one, which is Good Services with Lou Down. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Uh, I know, that's going to be exciting. Long time coming. I'm excited about that one. Um, you can join the Zoom calls in the links that are in the description. But as I said before, if you Google SCVO DigiShift, it's one of the first results you're going to find. There's more podcasts in the series on iTunes, Spotify, and most major podcast platforms. You can review us, subscribe to us in there, and send it on to anyone that you think might find it useful. Maddie, do you want to tell everyone what your Twitter username is? And you can connect with you on Twitter. It, my Twitter username is at StarkMadeline. Cool. Cool. And you can get the wider SCVO digital team on at DigiScott and I'm at Third Sector Lab. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye. Thanks very much to everybody who made this podcast happen. First of all, the charities who joined us in the call and shared all their wisdom. Secondly, Tech for Good Live podcast crew who brought it all together. And finally, we're part of The Catalyst, which is a UK-wide network supporting charities to make better use of digital. 